Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. We now live in a time where it should be obvious that something is really trying to change America. I'm Mark Taylor, and welcome to Crosspoint. My guest today helps us to see through this unraveling of America. Dorothy Logan holds a graduate degree in political science, and she serves as a professor and worship leader. She's a foreign policy analyst and author, and our guest today here on Crosspoint. Dorothy Logan, thanks for joining us here on Crosspoint today. And a very good book here, talking about truth, what's going on in our nation. You know, this book, you talk about the great experiment, but you say that it's over. So what, what do you believe that the great experiment is over now? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I think if you just look around at what's going on, not just in politics, but in society in general, the evidence is, is everywhere. Current events show us that equality under the law is is gone. But the entire um, experiment is not going to work, right? We were we hoped something new, where a government came in to protect rights, would be something that would be successful. But they also said it was only made for religious and moral people. And if you look around, that's no longer the case here in society. Not only that, we no longer understand what a republic is. We desire a democracy instead. And the real reason I come to the conclusion that the experiment is over is that we no longer, as a society, believe in freedom. And that was essentially the foundation upon which this experiment was built. And instead of, so instead of embracing personal agency, power available in a free society, um, we instead basically turn and say, give us a king. And we turn to government not only to solve our problems, but to tell us what our problems are. Yeah, you know, even saying that, the other day, you know, you're looking at this new, what they're wanting to do with your eyes and being able to, uh, you know, uh, go in there and take a picture of your eye and get your retina, you know, and be that for identification. And I couldn't believe how many people in these other countries are lining up for it, just in line. Uh, just can't wait to get it done. I mean, you're right. We have allowed the government to become God to us and become nanny. Um, you say in the uh, first chapter of your book, and of course, that's what you're talking about, the polarization we see in the modern American political landscape speaks to the idea that we have lost our republic. So you feel like we've we've lost the republic already. I do. I think that's why I talk about the unraveling. It's not just the threads are being pulled that we can watch, we can follow the threads and see where they're being pulled, but the loom upon which that fabric was was woven has been destroyed. Um, at least not in in our minds necessarily, because we are not every American is aware of it. But the framework has been meticulously and systematically deconstructed. Yeah. Now, chapter five of the book's entitled Natural Law, What is Obvious, uh, right there on that first page under the uh, part that's called freedom, you say many people see freedom as an unspoken permission to do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, however they want. And you say, I've actually heard the scenario described as pure freedom. And these two problems with the line, uh, with this line of thinking, there there are some problems. Tell us about that. Well, I think people want freedom to do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, however they want, but they don't want the, they don't understand that it comes with responsibility and the consequences for making those choices. 
the reality is the freedom to do good is also the freedom to do evil. But because of that, <laughs> choices have consequences. Yeah. And if someone wants the freedom to make a certain choice, they, they have to be able to take the responsibility for the choice they they make. And we now live in a society who has not been held accountable. Yet, I think this um, this idea of individual liberty is linked to individual responsibility. And I think the semantics of that make it pretty obvious. I mean, if you're a dependent, like a child, um, a parent is, is responsible for your safety, your security, what you, you do, your behavior, but also your happiness. But if you're independent, then that means you're not dependent, right? So responsible, you're, you take responsibility for your own safety, security, behavior, and happiness and choices. And I think that um, until we hold people accountable for the choices they make, they're not actually free. And it's a boundaries issue, right? So you put up a fence and you can, children can play in the yard um, up until the fence. But if there's a busy road going by where if you the child steps out into the road, they'll be killed by a fast-moving car, they're more likely to stay close to the to the equipment or push another child out into the street to get smashed by a car. You know, you talk about in here, and you mentioned offenses, so you also talk about, you know, what seems obvious to some of us is should be considered obscene uh, to most of us. But you talk about open borders, you know, and the promoting of chaos and accepting of transgender males into women's sports, reverse discrimination uh, under the guise, of course, of quality. And then you talk about eradicating our police and prison terms as well. Uh, and then you just say Americans continue to turn blindly to the creators of these ills in society. It is hard to understand, but it's got to be, um, of course, uh, to me, a part of what the Bible tells us is going to happen towards the end of the age, because we see this now. Uh, common sense is not even there anymore, and you know that the Bible talks about you know, people will be given over to depraved minds where they won't even think naturally, uh, and we're seeing that. Indeed, and we because we no longer look to God, but we, it's also, again, this has been a systematic approach to undermining moral authority in every other area of our lives. We no longer, not only do we no longer look to God, we don't look to our families, to our communities, to our churches, and so really what's left, and they, everyone is scrambling and, and clawing, and the fight is really intense about, and this is what's causing the polarization, they need to be on the winning side so they can be the arbiters of what's virtuous and moral and even define words they want to push forward their narrative. But um, government and government officials and candidates have been running on the idea that they can solve our problems, that they want to help us, but they never do. And I do wonder, it kind of baffles the mind why we continue to look to a, a group of people for solutions um, that never seem to solve anything. Yeah. In, in the book, in the obvious turned obscene uh, chapter there of your book, uh, and I, you'll have to help me with the name here, the article that was wrote uh, from her TikTok uh, account on August the 1st, 2022. Um, what is her name? Nortram Imori? Uh, there that you talk yeah. about in the book and you talk about you know how they talk about the unraveling of the country or she does the county but you talk about and you posted here of what they what she wrote as examples of the contradictions or rejections of natural law and truth 
And, you know, it starts out, if a guy pretends to be a woman, you are required to pretend with them. Yeah. Uh, Russians' influence in our elections are bad, but illegals voting in our elections are good. People who never owned slaves should pay slavery reparations uh, to the people who've never been slaves. Um, if you cheat to get into college, you go to prison. But if you cheat to get into the country, you should, uh, you know, go to college for free. <laughs> I mean, there's all – but that is really good, and that's a, there's a lot more of them there. You know, but that's kind of where – well, it is where we're at today, isn't it? It is. This is why I said the natural law is turned obscene, because the nat- it should be obvious. You yes. read that list, and you're thinking, of course, this is obviously crazy, but the American people don't see it that way. For some, They're blinded. They're, there's some blinders on, they're deceived or something, because this idea of self-evident truth that referred in the Declaration of Independence, they're supposed to be obvious. Th- these things are supposed to be completely obvious. And in, an, in another chapter, or that chapter, I believe, I give examples, right, that we know objects fall. They don't just float, right? We know when you let go of them, fish swim, mountains are tall, or water makes things wet. But even things like slavery is bad and freedom is good and babies are innocent, these things are being turned on their head. And it seems to make so, it seems to we're not aware of the of the crazy, I guess. I kind of talk about it that way. But it's all that evil has become good and good has become evil. But I do believe that, it, again, why it's under attack or how it's under attack or how it's become obscene, it's been an intentional process as the complete rec- uh, rejection of not only natu- natural law, nature's law, but that becomes part of the complete rejection of nature's God. And there, this idea to this is a systematic approach, essentially to in the modern era to take original sin to its completion and once and for all put humans in the place of God, whether it's ourselves as gods or our government as gods or experts as gods. We are we. It's all part of that rejection because we don't believe it unless someone else in authority tells us it's true. And then we've undermined all sources of authority except for man. Yeah. You also say that uh, democracy is not the same as freedom. Uh, what do you mean by that uh, so that people kind of will understand the difference between democracy and freedom? I spend a lot of time on that in the book. Um, democracy is one of those words we've been conditioned to use when we mean an- another word all entirely, and one of those is freedom. Like, we've been told... Our democracy is under threat. We need to protect democracy. We need to spread democracy. And we've kind of been conditioned to believe that democracy is the end-all, be-all. But democracy is simply the peaceful means to transfer power from, from one group to another. Democracy is a method of power allocation. And we see it as something grander than that. Um, democracy simply means that the majority or those representing the majority get to decide everything that's not freedom freedom or even i it's interchangeable we should think of it as interchangeable as liberty is the absence of coercion the absence of someone being able to tell us exactly what to think and what to do um we want to be able to think and act independently and not based upon the whims of the majority or what um, someone thinks is right in the moment or the, the the winning team right they get to decide what's right in the moment but Liberty, again, based on natural law, we need to um, be independent and make our own choices based upon an absolute standard and truth that aligns with reality, not on what the majority 
in power at the moment says is right and good and true. Now, you also say, talk about how we've exchanged, uh, you know, equality for equity. Uh, we've talked about inclusion for intersectability, uh, traded our cultural appreciation for cultural appropriation. Uh, we've traded individual liberties for the promise of health and safety, uh, happiness for the collective good, and individual responsibility for the collective uh, blame and dependence on or independence for dependence. You know, we've abandoned faith and freedom over fear. Is that kind of how you look at it? Absolutely. I think you just summed it up very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of where we're at, isn't it, today? And and people have, I, I guess I'm a little surprised of how many people I know that's actually bought into it. I'm sure the same with you. Actually, I'm surprised at how many people have not bought into it because the message has been so ubiquitous. I mean, maybe you could say it started in academia, but because it started in academia so long ago, it's been pushed out into the newsroom, the boardroom, the courtroom, every area of life. It's even infiltrated into high schools and K-12. It's in our media. It's in our movies. It's in our entertainment. And the message has been so ubiquitous. And it's everywhere. You can't avoid it. And it basically from birth up till now, um, especially the youngest generation, they have not had any other message. So actually, I'm surprised at how many people have not bought into it. And that gives me a little bit of hope for the future, because although I'm flabbergasted at how people cannot see the obvious, I'm also hopeful because there are so many people that even though it's been kind of infiltrating their lives and it's very insidious in the way it's done from birth, they, there's still people who haven't given into it. Yeah. And looking at what's happening, you know, the destruction of our civilization, and they wanting to basically create a new civilization is what they're wanting to do. And they have a lot of code words they use, uh, you know, different types of shared values that uh, aren't really the values, and a so-called normal that's not really normal at all. we got to be very careful with this stuff, don't we? We do. And I think those of us who have been around and understand what the history is and what the definitions were, we have to continue to put it out there that this it hasn't always been this way. But more than that, we have to be careful because they're using the values, like let's say Christian values or Western values, the Judeo-Christian principles, to manipulate people into accepting or promoting perspectives and worldviews that actually go against those values. For example, the open border scenario where you have, well, you're you're a racist, where we should be welcoming. Um, what about, don't you want them to have a good life too? Don't you want to be able to provide? Didn't, didn't Jesus say to care for the orphan and the widow? And you use all these this terminology and ethos of a civilization they're trying to destroy to manipulate people into being blind or not understanding that these same people who you think you're giving hope to, you're actually giving them desperation and enslavement. And so we were promoting freedom. And yet when people arrive, their dreams are dashed through a lot of different ways, right? We also have human trafficking, gun, you know, arms trafficking, drug trafficking, and the idea of promoting these baser, these cruelties, these actions, these crimes, and then calling a crime the good thing to do. The Judeo-Christian values of the West, established by the spread of Christianity, have been undermined to be used to actually remove 
Christianity from the West and those values. It's, it's a very delicate balance, and we need to be aware of it. And those of us who are aware of it need to keep reminding those who might not be able to see it. Well, folks, we're talking about the unraveling, the American fabric undone. Uh, we'll be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. Talking today with Dorothy Logan, The Unraveling. Now, Dorothy, if somebody would want to know about this book or maybe other stuff that you do, how would they go about uh, doing that? Well, I do have a website. It's freedomacademy-dorothy.com. The books are there everywhere, Amazon, everywhere you books. But I established this Freedom Academy with Dorothy um, back in 2020 when I just saw saw our country unraveling quite quickly and understanding that there's an entire generation who doesn't even understand the last time we approached this topic, which I believe was in 2001 with 9-11. So if they want to know more about freedom principles and what I do, they can go to uh, freedomacademy-dorothy.com. All right. Now, in the part of the book called The Two Pillars, uh, chapter there, you say, page 77, the unraveling seems to be by design, even though it seems like everything is unraveling rather quickly now. We did not arrive in our frayed state in just two years or even six years or 10, even though previous generations will argue that they've survived greater challenges than what is happening to our country uh, now and the reality of that. So this is something that's been ongoing and kind of take us from there because, uh, yeah, this just didn't happen yesterday. No, it's been ongoing. And I do hear arguing that we've gotten through tougher times, right? We got through the Vietnam War. We got through World War II. We got through the the communist push. When I talk about the, the two pillars, the cracks, those have all been cracks, and we've been able to repair them slightly or sometimes completely almost, it seems almost very quite good. But we've gotten to a point in history or in the contemporary world where those cracks are happening so much more quickly. And if you take out one of the pillars, the other one's going to fall. The whole civilization's going to fall. And so you can consider all these other previous challenges as chips or, or cracks in the foundation of, of who we are as a people and who this country is. And um, we, when you think about it taking place over a long period of time, we never before in history has it been possible to track and trace every human being. It's never been possible to change language overnight globally. It's never been possible techno- te- technologically um, to do some of the the things that make this foundational destruction almost permanent, right? We can change history overnight. That's never been possible before, especially with AI coming out, which I don't talk about in the book at all. But if you think about it, you, you release an artificial intelligence on the World Wide web and everything's connected. It is possible to change our history everywhere all at once while we're sleeping. And there's, there will be people who won't even know it happened in a generation. So you believe that there's those in power who want to replace liberty with tyranny, right? 
And so would you say people are then are obligated or can to protest when a government breaks down and, uh, you know, removes our rights and curtails our liberties? What's that look like? I believe it is our obligation, actually, to protest when our government takes away our liberties and starts replacing them with tyranny. Uh, on the one hand, that looks a lot different for many people. We do it through elections. That's been one argument. Uh, but that actually... If, what if elections don't work, right? There's a lot of people who don't no longer believe in the integrity of our elections. Um, but the idea of protesting is an inalienable right. We, this is in our Bill of Rights. It's, it's put up there, this idea of freedom of assembly. And if the government wants to take that actual protesting, peaceful protest, away from the, from the people, then that is just another evidence of the tyranny. But I think the best way to protest what is going on in our country is one, stop looking where they tell you to look. Jump outside the narrative. Um, because there's two, two ideas that say, or could save the republic, in, in my view, is focus on your local elections, focus on your state elections, focus on those, of, those officials. And if possible, run for office, find out what's going on, but also this idea of subsidiarity, bring decision-making back to the smallest, lowest level of decision-making, which is usually the family, but you have the family, you have your community, you have your um, non-governmental organizations, you have your, then you have your local governments, like people like to focus on school boards recently, uh, but also districts and counties, and then even the state. Federalism and subsidiarity are one thing that can really solve this problem, but protesting First of all, is peaceful assembly is protected by our Constitution, and when it's been when it's been violated, and it has been violated several times over the past few years, in favor of government, in favor of tyranny instead of liberty, we need to continue to call that out and continue to participate in, but to jump outside the narrative they expect. If they expect violence, don't be violent. If they expect you, it's it's all about not adhering to the. Um, scenario that will give them more power yeah continuing in chapter seven you part here at the end of it uh you talk about the wheat and the tares and you put a picture up here which i think is very good and you talk about how difficult it is if you look at the two pictures now me being from the farm i i know which one's which (laughs) but i have seen them you know in the field and, and seen uh what one type of vegetation almost looks like another but yet it's actually not and it has no nutrition or nothing for an animal like the other one does but you say so what we're not paying attention to what creeps in which plant you know would you say is really a truly a tear and i think people would be good i I can just see that flashing up on the board of a church you know in a sunday sermon and saying tell me which one you think it is and uh, write it down without saying but you know these talk about the unraveling of the fabric of the american society and what cracks we've allowed to spread through the pillars of our Western civilization in general. Well, those cracks are now becoming very undone, aren't they? Yes, and it only takes one. The two pillars are language and shared values. Often we call that second pillar religion, shared religion, but shared values works. I actually want every American to understand where our values come from and then that we used to have some shared values, which we no longer do. But those cracks are becoming more more like chunks being taken out. If one pillar falls, it's going to take out the other. We've redefined so many words. We've um, changed context and meaning. We've destroyed common understanding, you know, and 
But also at the same time, we have systematically with those tears, we replace the wheat with tears and we want to uproot the tears. I think a lot of us do, but in doing so, we will uproot the wheat. So we'll be left with nothing and our entire civilization will be raised to the ground, in in other words. Now, you also believe that uh, those who advocate open borders are really trying to destroy the nation. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. And because... It's the idea, right, if you intentionally, if, if, if you leave the gate open, the cow will wander off. If you intentionally leave the gate open, you want the cow to wander off, right? So we, we see this as a, an attack because open borders c- accomplishes a lot of goals in, in attacking both pillars. You know, the language pillar might be obvious. Right to the southern border, they bring across their other um, like Spanish for the most part. But no, we have a lot of Chinese coming across, and these people never have to be naturalized and learn the American language. And there is an American language, uh, but we're changing that too. But also, it infringes upon or makes cracks in the second pillar of shared values. Because the American dream, which I talked about earlier, this idea of freedom as a shared value, also replies rule of law. And the very first action that's taken is a trespass of that law. You know, we t- I also refer to trafficking, you know, drug trafficking, gun trafficking, human trafficking. This extinguishes hopes and dreams. This enslaves the people. Um, and it promotes disillusionment. And it reframes the entire idea of what America stands for into, some, into the opposite. And so it takes away those, those shared values. And... Um, by reframing the narrative, I, I use that word a lot, narrative, as open borders being virtuous, that's the virtuous policy, they are once again, in my opinion, turning natural law on its head. And so where they're calling opponents to open borders unjust and hateful, where these people might want to be protecting children, they might be wanting to prevent the drug trade, they might want to be preventing gangs or terrorists from crossing the border, and that is hateful, and that is vengeful, or that is racist. They want to throw out all these negative words to reframe the narrative. And by doing this, if we acquiesce and accept their reframing, their redefining, their the planting of the tares, if we accept that, then we're I would almost call us complicit in the destruction, but it's definitely intentional because yeah. they tell us it is. Yeah, yeah, in so many words, they do. And words matter. That's part of your uh, chapter here in your book. And you talk about how you could fill the entire book with obvious examples of changing definitions and how they change words to shift a narrative. And uh, things that we didn't really need to talk about 20 years ago <laughs> is now causing us to have to talk about them. Uh, and it's so stupid. Well, for example, a man can be a woman. And can have a baby. Well, that's stupid. We know that's not true. But they can get into a whole debate over that and say, yes, it is. And this makes no, <laughs> you know, we know it's not true. But we have allowed that stuff to go on. I mean, years ago, they would have left you out of the country, you know, for doing that kind of stuff and made fun of you. But today, you're going to go to jail if you make fun of people for that. Yeah. And again, it's. To me, the the insanity is so obvious. Yes. These, these, I believe these new definitions, new meanings, new contexts, um, they're created as an, an attempt to destroy reality. Um, they are seeking to destroy natural law. 
And when when we want to attach, um, I don't know, diversity to this this equation, or I don't know, we, you mentioned some of the words before, right? The exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. we, we we're attaching hate and fear yeah. to a lot of these things. But I want to say it's real for them. I believe it is sure, real for them. I agree. do believe that they are they are fighting for their existence. Yeah. And that's the sad part. As as a person of faith who I don't need to find my identity in, in these things, they actually do. And so it is very important to win the next election. It's very important that you agree with them. And if you disagree with them, they do actually believe you want to um, extinguish them, that you want to get rid of them. And so we have to have some compassion on on the people who go down that road, I believe. But we also we have to do it in love, yes, but the truth reality has to has to remain forefront in our minds as well yeah and we've got to remember we're dealing with basically ignorance uh, to truth uh, but you got to be careful how you present that ignorance to them <laughs> or they want to fight back and, and I'll give that now tell people if they wanted to know more about this book the unraveling of the American fabric undone how would they go about doing that they can look up the the description on Amazon Dorothy Logan's the, the unraveling the American fabric undone I also have a website which is um, Freedom Academy dash Dorothy, D O R O T H Y dot com. And my ideas about freedom are on that website along with the descriptions of the books and what I'm working on now. All right. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. When your life seems out of focus, spend some time with us. We'll help sharpen your focus and point you in the right direction to the one who's got it all figured out. The Word, radio that impacts your future. You're listening to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. My guest today is Dorothy Logan, the unraveling. We're talking about the American fabric being undone. And in this book, uh, Dorothy, you write that government's not the solution to our problem. It actually creates the problem. But why do people keep looking to government to solve their problems? I'm not sure. It's a really good question. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I think we talked about this earlier where uh, we no longer have other sources of moral authority. And I think that we have come to depend on government. We have de- we've come to believe what they tell us. And I actually also, I don't want to get into too much trouble here. What we saw with the pandemic measures, the mitigation measures mm-hmm. over the last few years, we have, we, we really don't have any other place to look. It, it, we don't look to our family. We don't look to our own. We don't believe we're smart enough to figure it out. We don't want to believe what we see. We can't do the math or, or whatever we are looking for there. But we also, there's, there's this um, ease that comes with living in luxury where we don't want to have to take responsibility. Um, but we have forgotten that the government's role is not to solve problems. Yeah. We are, the great experiment that I believe is over was based upon this idea that the government should have enough power to protect our rights, but not enough power to take them away. And so we have allowed them in the name of safety, security, and our dependence on them to take away more and more of our rights and liberties. And we've voluntarily done it because they seem to, at least in the short term, solve our problems, but only long enough so they can 
campaign on it to get reelected. Yeah. Right. Overall, they've rejected the conscience, their, the, the conscience of uh, the government and done what will bring them more power and what will satisfy the American people in the short run. Now, earlier we were talking about the American experience, how it worked because of checks and balances and because we shared the uh, pillars of morality and based on natural law. And we kind of went from trusting God uh, to almost agreeing with on other moral values and that there's really no absolute truth and that really truth can be whatever a person thinks it uh, is. And we've had this done a lot in our institutions uh, that's supposed to be teaching our younger generation uh, and then also our judiciary uh, and then, of course, our political uh, field as well. And uh, it's just really overwhelmed us. Uh, well, it's overwhelmed truth, hasn't it? Yes, it has, especially when you think, well, my truth isn't the same as your truth or what's true for you isn't true for me. Or if it feels good, do it. There's a lot of catchy slogans that have been out there for for a long time. And so to to replace truth with whatever we want it to be, this, again, feeds the need to win the argument. And everyone out there is trying to win the argument. Even though your truth might not be my truth, we still cannot agree to disagree. We, we The American people have gotten to a point where you need to agree with me. I need to force you to agree with me. And if I can just be the one in power or my party's the one in power or the people who agree with me are in power, then maybe I can force you to agree with me and then my truth will be forced to be your truth. And I think that's where we stand right now. Instead of having an absolute standard against which to measure, not just what truth is, but what is good and what is evil and what is right and what is wrong, it's we, are we the American people, are feeding the idea that we need to be in power, our party needs to be in power, so we can force the other side to agree with us. Yeah. Now, in the chapter in the book called Divided and Undone, you mentioned some of the culprit, you mentioned a culprit, Hollywood, you know, preaches against the evils of middle America while professing from entertainment, those people that, uh, you know, they you really disdain really in what they do, but people just eat this stuff up. But Hollywood uh, is really, along with government, has been very uh, decisive in uh, changing our culture, haven't they? Yes, and it was intentional. Again, we, we do see it... Um They admit to it. I I talk about one instance in there. But we also, um, not only do we feed into it, or we have been viewing it for generations, essentially movies, TV, even books, literature, articles, newspapers, but this this new form of entertainment, this idea of, of social media, and they even tell us that they're doing this, right? The Social Dilemma, they did a documentary about how they've created these algorithms to pit people against each other, to divide, to polarize, to so the next um, the next video up, the next post that you see is carefully crafted to make sure that division remains and that the that the uh, fight remains and that their message will come out on top. Yeah, now there is all kinds of things <laughs> going on out there. Why are laws? that are so in opposition to natural law, uh, you know, and they're usually immoral laws. Why are they so easily accepted? Is it just the nature of mankind? I think it is because we 
you know, water will always find a way, right? The easiest way down. We, it's again, original sin. We want to be, we want to do whatever we want to do. Um, yeah. we, we want to be God. We want to be the, the arbiter of truth. We want to, and so if we see something that aligns with our values, right, we, if we want to have an affair, if it's okay to have an affair, then we're going to accept that it's yeah. okay to have an affair. Or if we want to steal um, something, it's okay to steal something because it's not really their property. So we're going to accept that. And these are like simple, obvious Again, natural law should be obvious. <laughs> um, these are simple, obvious examples. But I think we accept it because our sinful nature or our, or our lower selves, I'll call it our lower selves, what we want in the moment is this law kind of gives us permission to go after those baser desires. Of course, why would we not? It's in part of our nature. Why would we not accept that as the way to go? Because it's really painful to put aside what you want in the moment for what is good for you and for what you want in the long term. And that's what, you know, we, we could talk about Plato's ethical conscience. We say the human lives in that in-between existence. It's a struggle. So if someone gives you permission through law to do the immoral and call it good, there are so many people who will succumb to that easily. Yeah. Now, why is it that there has to be an attack on Christianity. You talk about this uh, as the way to help destroy the civilization. They have to destroy Christianity or somehow make it ineffective. Is that correct? Yes. And I do want to know, I want to credit, there are other philosophers out there who have touched on this. Um, but when we talk about the shared meaning of language, right, that's the first pillar that I talk about, throughout the Western world, because how can we have shared meaning in the West if we have Spanish and Portuguese and, and French and German and English, but yet we have shared meaning, right? Because shared meaning on this language is 100% based upon the spread of Christianity, 100% based upon the Bible. So if to destroy that pillar of language, we have to confuse everyone about what the Bible says. But not only that, the Bible itself and everything therein serves as the basis for all the Western values that need to be destroyed as well to destroy the country. So Christianity is the enemy of those who want to destroy civilization because it's the entire foundation. The entire system is based upon this found, this foundation of Christianity and, and the scriptures. Um, that and so they have to destroy Christianity. They have to discredit the Bible. They have to discredit Christianity in order. It's the last wall of defense against the, the complete destruction of Western civilization. Now, something called the chapter called "Unraveled" in the book. I kind of because I have heard this talk, and then I know it may not be along the same lines. But you talk about dissolution, and you talk. And there, I know there's a problem with this, but you said, "What about legal dissolution using the Republican framework? Couldn't our U.S. senators, U.S. House of Representatives, come to some kind of geographical split to accommodate the domain's populations within a specific region?" Tell us about that. Yes, I, in my mind, I've thought of that as a solution. And this is one of the critical thinking exercises I do. What are the possible solutions and what are the problems with those? What are the pros and the cons? And this seems like a great solution, right? If there are two Americas or four Americas, why could we not 
divide ourselves and it would be a peaceful dissolution and the people in Congress could voluntarily do it with the support of the people from this state. It seems like this wonderful solution, but geographically it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, if you look at where the different ideas take hold, they're in all corners of the country, yeah. yet so are the opposite. Um, ideas. You can look at urban centers, you can look at certain counties or certain states, but there are very highly uh, liberty-minded or conservative people in the West, but in the cities in the, in the West, those are the most polarized places, the, the, the most progressive, radical, truth-denying places at yeah. the same time. So geographically making a separation, a legal dissolution, even if possible, would would stop nothing. Yeah, and, and this good example of this, I think, is in Oregon. Uh, if you go yeah. east of the Cascades, you've got Portland and that, and they're all liberal all the way down to Eugene and up through there. And they control most everything that goes on in the state because that's where the majority of the population is. Yeah. And most of them are liberal. And you've got on the other side, uh, over towards the border of Idaho, you've got about a half a dozen counties wanting to succeed Oregon yeah. right now and join Idaho. And this can cause all kinds of issues, can't it? Well, yes. And again, I feel for those people in eastern um, Oregon, but... California has been dealing with this for a long time. They have voted like three times to divide themselves into three different states. And of course, the people who are in power now, they don't want their power undermined. Could you imagine if there's like two parts of California and now they get four senators in, in Washington that unbalances the system, the gaming that they've they've been doing to the system in D.C. this whole entire time? And so there there is some dangers, and I feel for them, but... These are solutions that I actually would be interested to see how they play out. Uh, but in the end, the people in power are never going to let it happen. Yeah. Well, all this unraveling, as the title of the book is, this is all by design, isn't it? Uh, there's people, and you believe that there are people out there that want to actually unravel America and make a new America, correct? Absolutely. I mean, again, they tell us they want to. They take actions to do it. They implement policies that demonstrate it. And you might ask the question, well, why do they want to destroy the nation? And I, I kind of make a quip, but it's not false. Well, so they can build it back better, of course. Sure. They are always pursuing that, what they will consider utopia, but generally it just means I get to be the one in power and I get to tell you what's right and virtuous. And I can make it better. And they, I do believe there are people who believe, firmly believe that they are the ones that will get it right this time. And you also believe we need to restore morality. It's clarity anyway. Uh, and to do that, we need to identify what is evil. Uh, we talked about that. And natural law, pretty much we need to agree upon that. And, of course, the certain obvious truths that are out there. Um, so here, by the end of the book, uh, you do offer advice to help people engage in this cultural battle. Tell us about that. Well, I mentioned earlier, first of all, jump outside the narrative. Um, but really, it seems kind of simple. But stop with the idea that you need to be right and start living right. And yeah. stop, with the, stop with the need to be right in conversations and instead to be curious, to create authentic relationships. I think that... The Sunday school answer to every problem is Jesus, but it's not wrong. 
and Jesus is a representation, the um, archetype of what an authentic relationship looks like. And we need to, we actually need to be that Jesus to every person that we come into contact with. We need to have authentic relationship. We have to go in there with love and not the need to be right and to win them to our side. We need to meet them where they are, find out why they're there, find out why they believe what they believe, and then we can engage in a, in a conversation. And if we really care about the person, if we're really curious, this puts us in a position of humility, which is something Americans aren't really good at, puts us in a position of humility that might actually allow the person to see truth that they've never been able to see before. Yeah. So, Dorothy Logan, uh, tell us, before we leave the program again, how people can find out more about this book, The Unraveling. FreedomAcademy-Dorothy.com. Everything you need to know is right there. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us and our guest today here on Crosspoint. Thank you for having me. That was a nice interview today. You learned a lot from Dorothy Logan about what's going on in our nation and how to address those issues. Dorothy got all of her information. Anything was from the other book in my hand, the Holy Bible. Folks, we can have all these other books, but we have got to have this main book, the Bible, to where we put together all these other works, and it'll work out just fine. The Holy Bible, it's the Word of God. It's never got an expiration date on it. It's His inspired words. It's about everything, the essence of life. You can discover in the Bible. It's never outdated. It directs everybody that wants to follow it, and it shows you what your life can be if you'll go after the words of it. The Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss the issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime on... Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Are you walking in everything God has for you? Hi, I'm Pastor Gary Culp, and I'd like to invite you to check out the Exceedingly Abundant Ministries podcast, available from the Sky High Podcast Network. This 30-minute weekly Bible study will give you time to grow spiritually and get to know God and His Word on a deeper level. God has more in store for you than you ever realized. Listen to Exceedingly Abundant Ministries today and learn about how God can do more with your life than you ever imagined.